Welcome to the Meltzone podcast from November 18th, 2018. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And today we're going to talk particle emissions of 3D printers. We're also going to talk about uh, whether you should get a cheap 3D printer and then upgrade or whether you maybe want to get something that is ready to use. And we're also going to answer your questions. So uh, we stripped down our agenda for today um, because we were getting a lot of comments about the podcast being a bit too long. But we're gonna we're gonna make it work. We're gonna find a way to make this thing over an hour. I'm sure. I'm sure. So yeah, let's let's start with this, Stefan. You've you've been traveling. Yeah, I've been traveling this week. So I actually have been to Formnext at the beginning of this week, um, and it was quite a lot of fun being there. Unfortunately, I didn't see as much as I was hoping for because the I was primarily there for business reasons, for my normal job. Um, But still, I found one and the other minute to just walk around the exhibition, take a look at some uh, booths. And uh, I've actually even met a couple of people. So on Wednesday, um, Gina, Gina Hoiske was there. Yeah. Um, She's been joining the expo for just like a couple of hours, also walking around. Um, And we've met there at the Prusa booth, um, talked a little bit. It was quite a lot of fun Um, meeting people you've been, well, watching and following for for years now. Um, Yeah. And I finally, finally um, shook the hands of the 3D printing king. Joseph Prusa was there also on Wednesday. Um, it, it was about time. It was about time, yeah. Well, we didn't talk a lot. Um, we were both kind of busy, but still, it was it was really nice being there. I just, well, gotta say, Form Next is nothing like a maker fair. So if you're yeah, there for, for sure. like leisure purposes, um, hobby stuff isn't the main focus uh, of this exhibition for next i think is the biggest 3d printing exhibition on the world in the world yeah well it really depends on what ranges of, of 3d printing you're looking at for next i think is, is very industry focused and like professional and like uh manufacturing focused mm-hmm. right um and there are other fairs that or trade shows i guess because that's what it is um that focus on on different areas and yeah. form next is is tct now it's it's tct form next they weren't always like both tct right no they weren't um form next actually just started a couple of years ago because before it was the euro mold which yeah. was every year in frankfurt and then um just as 3d printing got bigger and bigger um too many like 3d printing companies were on that euro mold so they didn't really know what the main focus was and so they split it up now it's euro mold for the injection molding industry and then there's form next for professional 3d printing so lots of um, sls printer manufacturers are there lots of uh, metal 3d printing companies are there it's really really impressive to take a look at all of the things you can do nowadays with 3d printing and just a couple of smaller booths are there that are kind of focused on um yeah on normal 3d printing and the things yeah. that they are usually showing is also aiming more towards uh, the b2b business yeah because again it's a trade show like it's, that's what you're gonna get on yeah a trade it, show. it's not a maker fair 
right? So if you want like your hobbyist and, and DIY and open source um, kind of thing, you should probably go to Maker Faire instead um, as, a, as a user. I mean, trade shows are, are fun to peek into. And I'm not sure if, if Formnex is actually uh, costing admission. Yes, it does. So, it does. well, okay. if you're a student, it's not that expensive. I think it's just... I think it's 15 euros, but if you are not a student, you pay 45 euros for a one-day ticket. Oh, wow. That is, that is quite steep. That is quite steep. But, um, well, if somebody if somebody's planning to go there and doesn't have any, uh, well, vouchers for it, usually you can get vouchers from lots of companies. Just take a look at Facebook pages and also the the well the homepages of the big manufacturers yeah, as, a as couple of days before shows, right? yeah they got free tickets for you so you don't have to pay the 45 bucks and if you're there it's really interesting it's it's really really interesting the versatility of products you see there um the big companies you just only otherwise see in like TED talks and and whatever it's it's impressive it's really impressive Right. Any big new announcements this year? Any new Prusa Mark 3.5 or something? <laughs> that that would be, I mean, the, the thing, like I've, I've been to TCT, so the one in, in mm. the UK uh, quite a few times. And yeah, that there was some big announcement, that, but it always felt like it was just iteration. Mm. Maybe if someone was announcing something, it was some small thing and then... Yeah, the big the big stuff happened out of the way. Well, I haven't been to the um, to the talks that were held there. Um, I know that EO, EOS, so like the uh, Munich 3D printing uh, manufacturer, who is like market leader in SLS and SLM, direct metal laser sintering, uh, yeah. um, they announced a new well plastics machine that they are aiming towards um, a being a competitor for injection molding so they have like a laser array in their machine with a million lasers and they can do huge huge um a huge amount of parts in just a really short amount of time that so, was uh, impressive to see but this is something which will not be released in the next couple of months or or years yeah did you did they mention on what factor they're competing on are you just competing on speed or is it also on cost um well i think at first it's costs uh sorry it's speed <laughs> right <laughs> costs cost is always something because uh the powder they're using is pretty expensive so the normal sl uh, sls powder you can now also buy for the sinterit machine so the cheaper yeah, sls machines powders. is like uh, between 80 and 120 euros a kilogram so that's really expensive yeah. um but factoring in how much a uh, injection molding do you say dye costs a yeah a, a tool mold. A, to a mold costs <laughs> yeah even simpler um if you don't pr produce a lot of parts this is something where you well you are even competing in in terms of costs but mm, yeah powders need to get cheaper the machines are hugely expensive you gotta say that as well um yeah but at the moment productivity is always a thing in, in 3d printing and if you are aiming towards like the automotive industry and things like these um you need to tackle productivity and then also 
bringing down costs is uh, another step you should either do in parallel or after you have tackled the first problem yeah so as as you mentioned the the automotive industry um there were some other news which we which i didn't write down in the show notes so i'm, I'm totally surprising you here <laughs> it's not like we're preparing much anyways but <laughs> um there were the news that uh, bmw just had their one millionth 3d printed production part um finished so um bmw of course german automaker and they have kind of started to embrace 3d printing in their processes so i think one of the first things was uh the mini mini mm. is owned by bmw for a while and they do like the custom or personalized um inserts so the blinkers um on the sides and i think some some key fob um, parts they they can have custom printed for you and i think that is i'm not sure it's either don't quote me on this, but I think it's either resin or um, SLS. Yeah, SLS or the the what's resin jetting uh, uh, binder jetting binder no no not binder jetting um, the um, <sighs> the name escapes me um, you, you know what I mean right where you have your, your yeah. inkjet toolhead basically yeah. printing um, something down so that's one thing but they've also been using uh, metal um, printed parts for the i8 specifically mm -hmm. um so yeah they do have polymer parts like i think the um one of the window rails um side window rails that that was that one millionth part i think mm -hmm. um but they're also using um yeah metal parts for for where you know it just doesn't make sense to have uh, a die cast mold for mm -hmm. um you know that a low volume car like the i8 so they're mm -hmm. just going straight to 3d printing and going okay yeah we, we can we can print this stuff mm -hmm. it's going to perform well and um that's actually been something that has been in production for a while and mm -hmm. i think that's quite fascinating it's really fascinating and the quality of metal parts um is is really competitive to well uh, like conventionally manufactured parts the thing or the problem you are just having at the moment is that 3d printing metal parts is so expensive yes. um, so it really only makes sense if you have low volume complex parts and if you might even have a customer who is not really who is not on a tight budget so yeah, I8, which is wh why they're using it for the i8 which is what yeah. 120,000 uh euro and up car mm -hmm. Um, you're not going to see this on your Toyota Yaris or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Probably not of, for a yeah. while. One of the Fraunhofer booths, they had a 3D printed titanium brake caliper, a caliper for the Bugatti Chiron um, yeah. on, um, well, on, on display. Um, this is not like a production part, but it looks really fancy. Um, and well, if you have a car that costs two and a half millions, nobody really cares if it's like 10,000 bucks more expensive and you have a really cool looking part there. So at the moment, I think in for these cars, it's it's worth 3D printing or worth thinking about 3D printing, but you won't see 3D printed parts in huge volumes in like um, a Volkswagen Golf at the moment. But actually um, Daimler and another German company, premium aerotech they have a corporation and they are trying to build the uh, additive manufacturing company of the future so using automation in order to make 3d printing faster and especially cheaper uh, and they are really well aiming towards high volume 
3D printed metal parts. And yeah. I'm really interested to see how that comes out. But this is something I think we won't be seeing in like the car that I'm driving and the car that probably <laughs> you're driving uh, in the next yeah. couple of like years. Yeah, a few extra subscribers don't pay for <laughs> that sort of <laughs> um, of a vehicle. Uh, the other automotive 3D printing news was that there's you know now a 3D printed titanium wheel from HRE Wheels, um, though, which was I think also for the Bugatti, or did I misinterpret uh, the picture? That looks like a McLaren that they're McLaren. showing on. Yeah, I'm bad uh, with cars. <laughs> Not sure. It does. It doesn't say exactly what yeah. they got it on, but um, that's pretty much a concept. Yeah. So that is on a completely different scale. It's not something that is in production, being put out to to actual customers that but catalog order your your cars. That is really just an, an experiment, and they've teamed up with uh, GE Additive, um, so General Electric mm. Additive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which used to be Concept Laser before. All right, and. It, <laughs> It it just it looks. I mean, if you look at the picture, it, it just looks absolutely crazy what mm -hmm. they've done. Um, probably not purely functional. I mean, I'm sure they've simulated it, but they've not optimized it just for strength. But you know, if you have the geometric freedom of of three D printing, like why not use it? And why not which, make it look cool? Yeah, yeah which actually makes me wonder: could you could you just FDM print the, a rim like that? Maybe you should try. <laughs> And maybe get a cheap card to test it out on. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think the rim itself is made out of carbon fiber, as yeah. it looks. And then just the the spokes are or at um, least, 3D at printed. Least with carbon fiber. Yeah. Well, it, it makes sense making the rim out of carbon fiber because um, in, in terms how they are stressed during use, it's perfectly fine there. But the spokes yeah. are maybe not well perfectly made with um uh made using carbon fiber and i don't really know if uh well temperature could also be an issue what well anyways um i think it's a nice concept uh i wouldn't cool. want to drive around at 300 kilometers an hour with a an fdm 3d printed um wheel on my car but i don't know maybe in a couple of years <laughs> we'll we'll see yeah um yeah, if if you if if you guys as viewers are interested in, in seeing like what supercar crazy levels of manufacturing you can get into, um, there's a good series of videos on Koenigsegg out on YouTube that just shows you their their carbon fiber manufacturing. They they have like full carbon fiber wheels and mm. craziness, but it's that that's also you know that's more expensive than even the DI8 we talked about. Yeah. Um, so cool. yeah, it was interesting. Um, Looking forward to get back there next week, uh, uh, next year, um, but not for like the normal consumers. But Tom, what have you been True. up to? Yeah, so I guess that that also ties in. Uh, you, you mentioned like uh, dyes are expensive because they're milled and they're hand finished, but dyes have actually been getting cheaper for for a good time because the the machines that make those dyes become more accessible. Wow, that, uh, and, I realize that's a really a, a rough transition. <laughs> and, because basically, and lots of manufacturers starting to buy their dyes from China nowadays. Uh, there yeah, are some which really isn't always the best idea to be honest. Well, there um, are actually German companies who deal with the Chinese manufacturers, so they are taking the advantage of having cheap manufacturing there, but still like managing them in a German style, which gives you like dyes which are 
quite good of a quality, but still affordable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, really, all I want to say is I've, I've, I've mentioned like I'm, I'm building a CNC, um, something custom, something with linear rails and all. But I've decided I'm, I'm going to build a mostly printed CNC first because a lot of people have asked for it. And it's just, I have pretty much all the parts already. You need steppers, you need some control, but I'm going to use the do it for this. Finally, a use for the do it that I've had sitting around for <laughs> over a year. Um, I'm going to be building that first. So I think that's going to be around Christmas. So if you've been getting hyped up for the like custom linear rail CNC, that's going to have to wait for for a bit. But I think the mostly C mostly printed CNC is is going to be nice as well. And the idea is to use that to mill some aluminum parts for a proper machine. Cool. I mean, I realized that a mostly printed CNC is not really the most you know rigid and proper CNC mill. It's not even the mill; it's a router. Um, but yeah, learn from that. <laughs> that's my news for the week yeah perfect uh well other news from the week particle emission emissions oh, um yeah, there has one. been a recent well news article or there have been two papers being uh there were two papers released like a couple of days ago that talk about ultrafine particles yeah. um, that are being released um, using 3d printers i don't know you have read or at least skimmed through the papers so probably uh, let's just uh, summarize the uh, what they are saying or what they are claiming in their paper yeah so i guess the, the basic conclusion is 3d printers emit particles and more research is needed um, that's really the i guess the the headline of the the is there a headline from the conclusion? But yeah, that's basically what, what it comes down to. There's also been the finding that we need better kind of ways of measuring particle emissions because every paper and every researcher kind of does their own thing and you don't really get comparable results. Um, now, the papers themselves were, were two different papers. One of them is open access. The other one is like paid where you can like get it for an hour for uh, 45 bucks or something. So... Um, Yes, uh, some somebody shot me a link where you can actually get it on SciHub, which I don't recommend at all. It's like super pirate. So SciHub um, is is where where I actually had a read through read through that, um, and um, I just couldn't avert my eyes. I'm sorry. Uh, basically, the first paper, the open one, um, kind of compares on a quantitative level the emissions you get from PLA, ABS. Um, and the finding is kind of like, yeah, PLA emits a magnitude less particles, ultrafine particles, which is in the nanometer scale. So somewhere around 50 to 100 nanometers is kind of what they're focusing on. Um, PLA is a lot safer or, or a lot less particle heavy than ABS. Um, they've also kind of had a look at what the compounds are that are being emitted. Emitted um, in, especially in ABS, and it's like... It's some some toxic stuff, yes. Um, the so the, the the other paper, the closed one, um, kind of focuses on ABS mostly and different print settings. And one of the conclusions there was don't print uh, unnecessarily hot, mm -hmm. which is not. I mean, yeah. <laughs> It, overall, like the, the news that, that these papers bring aren't something that we didn't know before. Like if you've printed ABS at two. 30 and then printed it at 270 you're gonna notice that it smells more and that you're gonna get a sore throat from it just sitting there and that you maybe shouldn't sit right next to the printer while it's doing its <laughs> thing it's 
Yes, um, I, I think the the biggest headline was, oh, look at all these toxic stuff, uh, all these toxic compounds that your three D printers are spewing out, and we've had those results before, basically. Um, but but I how, guess yeah, but how are they then different to the information that we had before? So what what this paper I think was focusing on mostly is. Um, the ultra fine particles mm. so um if you look at what a hepa filter kind of catches that is below the the threshold what a what a hepa filter can catch um and typical readings that you can get um from just commonly available measuring tools are pm 2.5 and pm 10 which is uh 2.5 micrometers so a few magnitudes larger than the ultrafine particles they were focusing on. Mm. Um, so we, we now have kind of data that, yes, you're also getting those ultrafine particles and not just the, the larger chunks, I guess, of, of molecular conglomerates. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess one, one of the things I, I do want to point out is that the number I saw for it, like their test setup was they were testing in like a really dry environment. They were testing in 3% relative humidity, which is, Desert first of all, not, not realistic. Um, so typically you have anywhere between 20 and 60% relative humidity typically. Um, and just that humidity is going to help bind some of those particles. Mm. Um, and the other thing I, I, I kind of want to touch on is like, those levels of particle emissions like where do they fall in on a scale i've not looked into this so i, mm. I can't really say how high or low they are but if you compare it just to like walking outside in the city <laughs> cars and stuff and and you know uh if you compare it to uh cigarette smoke if you compare it to cooking a steak you know those all also uh emit particles or or fur furnaces uh not furnaces what is it? fireplaces yeah wood burning fireplaces those are also you know very heavy in, in just particle emissions so just because a 3d printer emits particles it's not you know it's not the only thing emitting we, we should kind of also take a, a broad scope at what else is is kind of doing that yeah but yeah well i, th I think that the one thing to take away is that we kind of need a standard um which they also mentioned in the paper, we, we kind of need a standard testing protocol for testing um, 3D printers because everyone's doing it differently. They're drying filaments, they're not drying them. Uh, they're doing it in a closed box. They have a, a fixed amount of airflow coming through. Um, you know, what particle size we should focus on, all that sort of stuff. There's no standard for it. Mm. Um, so the papers that were published were, I think, uh, in collaboration with UL. So the... Um, Underwriter laboratories, which are kind of like a, a U.S. health and safety and standards organization company. Not really sure how to classify them. Um, and I think they will start working on, um, you know, establishing standards. Mm. Um, here, I actually got an email from, from Tiffany Wong, who I believe was one of the um, researchers involved. Um, new standards expected to be ready in December. For the manufacturer of 3d printers to address the potential health risk so that's something that's going to come out of this uh, research paper basically first of all we need something to quantify um, our particle emissions first i think the big elephant in the room is now should we be concerned i i, I think yeah it's it's good that something like that is standardized and i'm wondering since we have lots of other things around of us that also emit 
particles that there aren't any standardized tests. Um, but the question is, sh should we be concerned? I think having like a 3D printer in your, um, in your uh, bedroom isn't a good idea. Yeah, I, I just just looking at physiological results from that should be pretty clear. Like I know if I'm next to a 3D printer that's printing, even if it's just PLA, mm. I can feel that in my throat mm. um, after a few minutes. It's just, yeah, maybe if your body's telling you this isn't good what you're doing, you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one, one of the conclusions from the papers was also Yes, there are particles, but more research is needed uh, when it comes to what these particles actually do. Um, I think ultra-fine particles in particular aren't that well-researched uh, either because they, they do very, 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 very... They do some weird things in your body because they can um, kind of pass through, uh, for example, a blood-brain barrier, which is meant to filter out stuff like mm. that. Uh, there's a small enough to, to pass through that. So they kind of do some things that we don't really know exactly what they are yet. Mm. So yeah, research is needed for sure. But should we be worried? Uh, just, you know, do some basic safety precautionary measures. Um, and again, that's something that the paper mentions. Don't stand next to your printer while it's doing its thing. Uh, keep some distance, get some ventilation. Don't print in the same rooms that you're in. Um, common sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, 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 well, it's pretty obvious if you have ever been printing ABS that something is pretty wrong there with PLAs. Usually you don't really smell that much. And I gotta be honest, at least when I'm printing, um, PLA in my office, uh, I'm not that concerned, but I don't like printing ABS. Um, Filled materials is something which is also something I have been worried about for quite a while. If you are taking a look at the carbon fiber materials that are out of there, is all of uh, all of the fibers staying in the the plastic? Are they being released during the printing process? What yeah. are the amounts? Are they in a well size or a range comparable to something like asbestos that yeah. really goes into your lungs? I think you you really need to just consider what you're doing. And as I said in the beginning, printing in your bedroom is probably not a good idea. Um, I also try to avoid being in my office when my printer is running, also due to, well, noise concerns. But yeah. Just get some Tronemic drivers. It'll be fine. <laughs> uh, not a sponsor, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not for me either. Yeah, um, right but just people should be aware that this is a thing and shouldn't expose themselves for like really, well, a long amount of time um, to that vapors or particles that are being produced. But I think if you are doing proper ventilation in your, in your rooms, if you're not staying there all day, if you are not sleeping in the same same room, I wouldn't be hugely concerned, but just think about what you're doing yeah. if you um, you already said that if your body feels if your body feels strange then probably think about if it is the best place to be there yeah um again none of the stuff we are mentioning here is like uh legally binding advice so if you if you follow <laughs> our advice and you still mess up your immune system we're not at fault uh you know do all this stuff <laughs> at your own risk yeah 
And I also have to mention DIY 3D Tech, which is, uh, well, another YouTube channel. Um, he has been doing some investigations on particles that are being released and um, form aldehyde and volatile carbon fibers. I don't know how the um, um, abbreviation of that is. Um, I'll link him down in the show notes. Take a look at his investigation. He at investigations. He just well, just used. He used one of these cheap um, or kind of cheap uh, measuring devices and has been investigating different materials. And as well, what I have seen so far, he has more or less come to the same com conclusions that PLA and PTG don't really re release a lot of uh, particles and also like form aldehydes. But if you're getting to uh, especially ABS, it can be pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've taken a quick look through his uh, through the, the video you, you just sent yeah. me and it's, yeah, it's pretty much the same result that pretty much every other paper has been getting um abs yeah. hips you know the dystyrene based materials mm -hmm. they do emit uh, more way more particles and something like a pla so you know again advice though not legally binding is <laughs> print pla if you can don't print the abs if you don't have to uh, if you don't and, have a special room for that yeah and, and think about using ptg instead of abs mm -hmm. one of the things Maybe um, just getting back to form next, one of the things which you can see in a bit more professional machines nowadays is that they are mostly enclosed, also due to the higher technical materials they want to use. And most of them have at least a HEPA filter in there. And really a lot of printers that I have seen also have a, um, a carbon filter in there. Activated carbon, yeah. yeah. Um, so, again, I'm... I'm not in a position to comment how effective those are but again <laughs> like, like we like we mentioned for the, for the extra research hepa is actually not fine enough to catch those no ultra not, fine particles. yeah not for the ultra fine but for the um pm 2.5 ones and yeah. i think form aldehyde and volatile carb uh, hydrocarbons they oh, are stuck in at the least partly carbon. catched in the activated carbon and yeah. this is well maybe the right step especially if you have one of these printers in like an office building or an office scenario yeah though i mean you got to keep in mind filters like that they are consumables especially the activated carbon yeah. um they do over time fill up and i think it's 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 faster than most people think you can't mm -hmm. just leave them in there for a year and and still think they're going to be as effective they do get filled up with those volatile compounds and at some point they're just not going to filter as much anymore and at some point that you know it's you might not even it, it might not even make a difference to have it in there so um if you have a filter like that make sure you, you switch it out regularly just like with your um respirator rebreather what the respirator yes um uh, with those if you have like the, the big um carbon cartridges for that uh, don't leave them out in the open they will suck up compounds mm -hmm. from just the open air and do switch them out regularly it's kind of the same thing um but yeah let's talk about something else <laughs> right we're, we're we're 30 minutes we're still talking about form next yeah perfect um our topic of the week cheap printers versus ready to go printers yeah so Which, we we have been discussing about that just before before the show and we thought this would be something really interesting also for you guys out there um so we were discussing is it really worth the time 
buying a cheap printer and putting a lot of your own time into optimizing it to get it well to a state that it prints like a more expensive machine or is it a better idea just to spend a few hundred bucks more and to get a printer that just runs perfectly out of the box yeah and i guess that that's just stems from the idea if you look through forums or communities um that kind of focus around cheaper printers like something uh like an endo 3 or the anet series of printers it was like yeah you get this printer and then you do this 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 and this mod and then it's a fine machine <laughs> and yeah I, I agree with that you, you can mod most of these printers into something that's going to work but how much of your time are you spending versus your money you're spending um goes into that so i think it, it kind of ties into a different question as well that we've gotten is um, like where is the differentiation between a consumer or a hobbyist printer and a a professional workhorse machine? Mm -hmm. Because I think we, we need that background to even discuss that uh, cheap versus ready to go. Mm -hmm. So, well, I think hobby machine, well, I would say that hobby machines are in the range like to a thousand euros. Semi-professional machines for example the ultimakers range up till i, th I think the s5 is no it's, it's six like almost more, yeah yeah <laughs> um and i wouldn't talk about like the really expensive ones like the uh, stratasys mas machines right here that can cost you even uh, six or seven digits they can get really expensive yeah. Um, but I think even in the in the DIY space, um, it makes a difference if you spend 200 bucks for a really cheap printer or a really cheap kit, or if you spend like a thousand bucks for a Prusa Mark III, for example. Yeah, it, it always comes down to the Prusas, right? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> if this wouldn't exist, the market would be different. But um, I guess we, one should also mention that, that not just because a printer is cheap, it, it's it doesn't automatically mean that it doesn't have um, like a good print quality and a good reliability. And it's, it's not, it, it's not by bracket. Like your no. sub 200 doesn't mean that it's worse than a $500 printer. No, definitely. $500 is still cheap. I think. Yes. Um, there got some, some really good examples that you can get a pretty decent printer for 200 bucks. Look at the end of three. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you can also buy printers that cost you like a thousand euros or dollars or whatever and they're still crap um yeah. always depends but um i think it it pretty much boils down if 3d printing if your 3d printer is a tool for you to um perform the job or to just perform a job or if the 3d printer is more or less your hobby so what i want to say with that is if you want to have a printer that does something and you want to really and you can earn more money working on on other stuff then it's probably a good idea to spend a couple of bucks more and have a printer that is properly running and spend the time you have saved on things that really benefit you but if 3d printing is the hobby for you and you want to learn about the technology, you want to understand how a printer works and how it can fail, I think it's not too bad buying a cheap printer, uh, trying to optimize it, trying to figure out why this optimization helped me, and then just learn about the technology. 
So mm, it always depends. It's 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 the the engineer's dream, right? Kind of um, the so the DIY and do it yourself and improving everything bit by bit is where this entire thing started. Um, I know when when I got into three D printing, it was very much a very active community about just figuring out the basics of what makes these machines work. Like, hey, mm. how can we build a better extruder? Uh, what does a hardener need to look like to to work? um figuring out slicing slicer settings was a huge issue in the <laughs> in the early days and that that is very much fun that is interesting to just try out different things mm-hmm. see what they what they do um and kind of find a a common ground to you know best practices to what works and what doesn't um and that's fine i mean that that's fine and that's fun for me, having dealt with so many printers, like the the fiddling with it and, and figuring stuff out and debugging has kind of lost its fun aspect because <laughs> I've done so much of it. Um, but the the upgrading and kind of pushing the limits, that that's still something that I think everyone can get into who sees 3D printing as a fun activity. Mm. Um, and I mean, it's the same with, with any profession right as soon as it becomes your job um say you know running a cnc mill running uh, a 3d printer or making videos which is what what i do as my job like the your tools that you use as soon as it's a tool and not some you know a hobby not not the the object itself um as soon as as a 3d printer or for me a camera becomes a tool like you really value that thing just working Mm. that thing just you know you you tell it what to do it does it every single time um one of the things uh video geeks kind of uh, you know run into is audio gear audio gear is ridiculously expensive um Cool. I mean, the, the mics we're using right now is, is probably one of the most cost-effective things <laughs> that we've got. But um, I will happily buy like a two hundred or three hundred dollar microphone um, if that just you know works. I've got like four hundred euro wireless transmitters um, because I know they work. I could get the same thing for a hundred bucks, but what if it fails? Then I have to do the work again, mm. um, or worst of all, just not have any result and not be able to redo it. Mm. Um, and it's the same with 3D printer. Like if you need something that you can take a job on and you have a customer that's going to pay you or not pay you if you don't uh, fulfill, like you need something that just works. But I think most of, of us or most of, of at least the, the people that are, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not running a 3D printed job shop, mm. Um, most of our listeners, I think, aren't either. So we can take some of those those hobby level um, components and those hobby level printers and and just kind of fiddle with them and make them work. And mm-hmm. that that can be very satisfying on its on itself. Um, now, of course, when you enjoy doing something like that, if you enjoy fiddling with it, um, the question that we've brought up before was like, do you value your time? <laughs> uh, it it kind of you you're not worrying about that anymore because the, the time you're spending is time that is basically fulfilling and that, that is fun for you, right? Mm-hmm. It's your hobby. People spend time on, on so many other things that you would say, hey, like, dude, why? <laughs> why Why are you building this? Why are you making this? And why don't you just go out and buy it? But really, it's, it's fun to a certain extent too, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, this is the question. For example, you're an engineer. You earn, let's say, $100 an hour um is it really worth spending 20 hours uh on improving a 3d printer if 
getting back to your thing, uh, if it is your job running that printer and well, also getting you money, then it's definitely definitely not worth spending that amount of money. But if you if this is your hobby, why not do that? You learn something. Uh, it's it's fun for you. It's 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 a great activity. And then I would not value the hours with the normal wage you're getting in your standard yep. job. And yeah, that's 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 always the question. And um, but in, people people just should keep that in mind. And as I said, it's sometimes just worth spending a bit more money and then just being happy with everything. In uh, Germany, we say uh, by cheap, by twice, something like that. Yeah, I think that the same is, is you know, you can do in English. Um, yeah. I I think like 3D printer manufacturers are having a, a hard time figuring out what market they're catering to mm. um, because it, it very much mixes and mingles uh, when it comes to what is a hobbyist, a consumer, a prosumer, and a professional machine. Because mm. something like we mentioned the Mark III, it kind of fits in everywhere. It's an open source machine that you can fiddle with. Um, it's a good, reliable machine out of the box. And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I've recommended to recommended the Mark III to um, a company that is actually using them in production and making lost um lost phone no uh, investment casting parts with it um they were like dude this is like the best 3d printer we have and mm. they have way more ex expensive machines than that and they were like dude yeah let's get more of these these are great <laughs> um it's gonna be hard in the long time uh, long term catering to to all of these mm. different aspects in in one single machine um yeah where am i going with this i don't know i guess the The, the, the question I, I still have is, does getting a cheap printer and, and upgrading it bit by bit, does that give you the same results as just getting something better? Um, both like, is, is it worth it from a financial mm. standpoint? Is it cheaper to get a cheap machine and then upgrade? Or should you just spend a bit more? And is there even the option to spend a bit more to get something a bit better? It's hard. I think if you have something which is totally horrible in the beginning and the components are bad, I think uh, you you can't get it to a point where it's it's a great printer and you get the same results as a semi-professional machine out of it. But if the basic things are okay and the hardware they were adding is usable, definitely with some minor or major tweaks, you can get yeah. there. Um, and I think... The we, we, we kind of need to differentiate between what we mean with results. Um, because honestly, most printers out there can give you pretty great prints. Yeah. Um, something like an Ender 3, if you tune the slicer really well, and if you maybe swap out the hot end, you can get fantastic prints out of that. Um, it You know, the prints themselves are, are, you know, pretty much any printer, even one that has been built in 2013, can print really well these days. Um, but what also goes into it is just the overall experience, and it's something that I've that I'm going to be talking about a lot in in my uh, content on the Monoprice Delta Pro. Um, is like, yeah, you can have great hardware, you can have great prints, but if using the printer itself isn't that good of an experience mm -hmm. because it's just you know uh, either loading filament is super fiddly, or you have a touchscreen on it, but it doesn't 
there's no point in having that touchscreen or whatever else. If you're not having a good experience, that's also not a good result, I think. Mm. Um, but this is also where things like Ultimate Cura and the material they're selling also comes in there. They are selling the whole ecosystem. You buy their printer, you buy the material, you use their slicer with kind of very good printing profiles and then it works. You don't have to worry about everything. The Prusa printers, they have their own slicer, they have their machines and now they're selling the material. If you buy everything from them, totally fine. Um, but they are a bit more open. So... Um, <laughs> uh, yes yeah so this is the, th this is the thing but for example for an ultimaker you pay like 50 bucks for a kilo of pla um yeah it it also goes in that direction the printer the printer is expensive the material is expensive but for a company that's totally feasible because employees working on these machines just to get them working are even more expensive than the well slight markup you're paying there um it's nice that um also with uh, the prusa printers and the slick 3r prusa edition they are running they are also aiming towards a ecosystem they are building but they're more open let's put it this, this way if you have another printer from another manufacturer and you do tweaking around on that, you also need to take that into consideration. You might need to fiddle around with the settings yourself. You might need to fiddle around with, well, the settings for the printer and then the settings for the material. If you use bad material, that could also be probably the reason why your prints were bad in the beginning. So yeah. this is the thing. Sometimes you need to pay a bit more. Um need to get in this ecosystem um, but then everything is working but on the other side if you have if you're working on that if you're learning everything you gain the ability to even produce good results with kind of inexpensive um, equipment yeah it's pretty much the same reason why I, I keep recommending that people kind of source their own printer or at least build a kit just because it, it's such a great learning experience mm. um one more thing I, I kind of want to touch on is is like just mechanical components and, and quality of those. And it's something I've, I've often run into with like RC cars. It's the same kind of equation. What do you do? You buy something cheap and then upgrade bit by bit. Or you buy something that is a bit better from the start and then maybe not upgrade everything. Because when you start out with, let's say an ANET A8. Let's use like the worst case example kind of um, control board. Really not good maybe not even usable power supply maybe that's okay hot end should replace linear bearings eh, the cheapest one you can get um frame acrylic bends flexes burns maybe sh you should upgrade that as well so it's if you buy like the cheapest of the cheap options you, you get like that base level everywhere but that base level is very very low and as soon as you let's say you put uh you put an e3d hot in on an eight to eight it's lipstick on a pig like you've you've got the worst components everywhere else but you've got that super shiny nice hot in there um but the rest of your printer hasn't upgraded yet and it's still subpar it's not mm -hmm. at that good enough level um, whereas if you buy something, I guess the Ender 3 is kind of, is a bit nicer. If you buy something like that, 
not sponsored by Creality or anything, but um, that's been kind of becoming the, the baseline for stuff. Uh, if you buy that, you upgrade maybe the hardened. Yes, what else should you upgrade on that? Maybe put a nicer extruder on it. And like the rest of the machine is going to be good enough. So even at that level where it's not even like, hey, I'm getting the bestest of parts, I'm getting the the Ultimaker or uh, the Sigma, the BCN3D Sigma or, or something, you don't even have to go that far if you're into the, hey, I'm going to do something. But if you're going to upgrade your, if you're going to use your 3D printer at all, I like the very cheapest stuff usually isn't worth a recommendation get yourself like that that level of hey i can work with what i have i don't have to replace every every single bit because if you have to replace everything like what's the point of buying it in the first place <laughs> right yeah so <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think this was the conclusion to that topic i guess i, I it feels kind of unsatisfying to, to leave it I, one more thing, one more thing, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, what what people often also don't see is stuff like customer support, manuals, slicer profiles. Um, I guess that's the big ones. Um, just having that baseline of information and, and your you starter kit, I guess. What I really like about Ultimaker Sigma or BCN3D, um, Prusa, of course, is like you get the package, you get the printer, mm -hmm. you get the slicer, you get documentation with it, and you kind of get your you're ready. You, you you go back, you you get everything you need in one pack. Um, whereas with cheaper stuff, yeah, you might get a slicer profile, you might get a pre-configured slicer if you if you're lucky. Um, but really, you have to kind of pull all the information on how do I configure this or what could be the best profile from whatever Facebook communities or mm. various places around the internet. Um, you also have to put in not just the upgrade work if you want to get into upgrading, but you also have to kind of put in that research of just searching for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that concludes it. So... Yes, yes. Thanks for for bringing us to a uh, don't to a buy stop the there. cheapest of the cheapest, but it always it, it depends as always. <laughs> yeah, um, let's do some questions. Yes, I think so. The first question, which isn't really a question, but something that has been asked, is um, we've been asking you guys if you're like a skilled or even a non-skilled artist. Um, <laughs> we're we're open for anything. We're still looking for a logo. Though we have is just me drawn up in, in like 10 minutes on the couch. It looks like crap, quite literally, actually. Um, we're still looking for a logo. We're looking for like intro, copyright-free music, whatever. If, if, you, if you're a composer or if you're a graphics artist and if you want to send us stuff, uh, somebody was asking for an email address. So I guess do, what, what email should we use? Uh, like uh, graphics at the melt.zone? Yeah. That's going to work. That's going to go to our inboxes. Um, so we would be eternally grateful if you have something that you want to, you know, uh, contribute to, to the podcast that makes it look nicer. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, that, yeah, that's that question. Email, email address will be down in the show notes. Uh, if you want to contribute something, we'll be grateful. Okay, let's head to the questions. Um, yes. 
first question from Philip James regarding the things I, well, talked about um, concerning my DIY filament experience. Um, and we were discussing a bit uh, about how can you like grind down all of the material you have as a leftover to reduce it uh, during the process. And one of the questions he wrote was, could you use a ball mill to make powder for the filler extruder? Would it be, or would it be too fine? Um, I have been thinking about that topic and I, th and I have heard exactly that comment from many others before. I think a ball mill would not work with, uh, like, or work for crushing down PLA parts. Yeah, PLA is kind of brittle, but not in a way brittle as the things you usually put into a, um, into a ball mill, stones or something like that. Yeah. So. I think you would more or less mush everything up, maybe even generate heat in there and have a oh, yeah. big melted Excellent. mess in there in the end. So I don't <laughs> think it's it's really a viable option for really grinding down everything fine. And yeah. the question is, if you have a fine plastic powder, at first I'm not that happy working with that. I don't know if it would clog the, the extruder because having kind of particles is beneficial in terms of letting everything flow into the into the auger well yeah i don't think i i don't think it worked works i but i haven't tried it so far um i'm still looking more towards into the uh, direction of um, shredders and also Mixers is not the right term. Blenders. It's blenders, yeah. Yeah. I, get a blend tech. <laughs> get a blend tech. Well, they are like a thousand bucks, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're probably gonna work. They're probably now, gonna uh, work. Yeah. The I guess the, the background question to that is you have your filament pellets, your resin. Um they're usually a very like consistent shape and size. Mm. Like each pellet is gonna be you know, roughly the same size and, and shape as, as the previous one. Um, and I think that's also what you're going for with a shredder, just having, you know, your, your teeth, just having that, that fixed size of, mm. okay, we can shred it into these little bits that are roughly the same size. Um, so if you have, if you have like bigger chunks or smallest chunks in there, it's going to influence your extrusion as well. It's mm. going to run faster or, or jam or do yeah. other weird stuff. Now, not sure you would get that with a ball mill, but let's say let's say the ball mill would work and you would find some way to have like super fine, dusty PLA uh, ground up. <laughs> I think, well, it probably wouldn't work in the extruder. Um, there's like that golden ratio some, uh, well, some most professional extruders use um, where your, your clearance in your auger is supposed to be roughly three times the size of your pellets. So if you have a like a five millimeter pellet, your clearance should be like fifteen millimeters, which the filler extruder is already ignoring. Um, but let's say we we stick to that and kind of at least use it as a guideline. If you have fine dust, you would probably need a really really fine extruder as well, just a, a like a one millimeter auger. Um, <laughs> it might actually work with that. Might be fun to try out and just make super <laughs> fine filament, like a 0.5 millimeter. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm no more going towards the direction that I start with inconsistent particle sizes and inconsistent extrusion, and then just take this rough filament, um, pelletize it down, yeah, and then chop use it back down. chop it down and uh, use that in a second step to make the well 
the filament that has a more consistent diameter. Um, yeah. I'm currently working on on this palletizer thing and it is already working kind of but i think this is actually the way to go because it's yeah. it's hard grinding up everything very consistently yeah especially if you go directly from a print to a particle that's supposed to be consistent mm. um but i mean having that two-stage process isn't something that is completely alien to the process like that is very much how uh, master, master batches, batches and and just the, the general compounding yeah. process works um typically you start out with an extruder and i think yeah protopasta have even shown that in their tour is you start with a extruder that is not optimized for consistency but optimized for mixing so they use a twin screw that has like a lot of shearing go well shearing going on if you have same direction screws so a lot of mixing happening in that extruder that is just made to mix and just made to to create that pellet material for your next step um, and then you have your, your extruder that really focuses on getting that consistency and you also feed it with something that is very consistent already mm. so yeah that, that's that's probably the, the better way to go about it yeah gonna be interesting to see your results from there i'm if i had more time i would be <laughs> finished <laughs> much earlier but yeah that's that's the fun of it just working on it and seeing how the results are and then improving on myself yeah uh one more question from this week from fa x x z z uh infinite z belt printers please so apparently stratasys has an infinite build demonstrator the yes, h2000 i have seen it i think last seen last year on forum next um if i remember properly they have like removable pieces of like a plastic sheet on the build platform they print on that piece of plastic sheet um, and then they eject the print including that sheet which also has barcodes right. and all the information uh, of the print on it and so so that's actually a, a different process to what something like the printer belt and yes. the black belt um yes. that for the guy mentioned the, the person <laughs> mentions um because with something like the printer belt and the black belt it's actually you have a continuous belt mm -hmm. that acts as your z-axis mm -hmm. and the stratasys one you mentioned is just basically a pallet system it's a pallet system with an ejector but it has more or less the same purpose you can like run it 24 7 and don't really care about somebody picking up the part and just starting the print all over again it's working in a different way. It's normal XYC configuration. Uh, it is. Is it, is it talk like a pirate there already? Sorry? Is it talk like a pirate there already? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, talking about pirate, uh, no, it, it maybe something for, for another, uh, another podcast. There has been the R printer from. Dave Jones, yeah. uh, the other David, which works, uh, who works with Dave Jones, he did that as his master thesis. And the, well, the things I have seen like two years ago were very interesting, but I have never heard of that printer anymore. <laughs> um, so if anybody knows what happened to the R printer, <laughs> please let us know. Uh, getting yeah, back to the topic. Sorry about the tangent. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think we have to distinguish infinite C-belt printers. One thing is continuous printing, like um, 
printing parts, ejecting them, and then printing them all over the, uh, again. That is possible yeah. with a belt printer, and that is also pros possible with the Stratasys Infinite Build Demonstrator. Um, but the other thing, if you have a belt printer, you can also print parts that are more or less infinitely large because um, you just inject the uh, eject the the end of the part from the belt and just uh, like hold it in some way and you can continuously add material and material as long as well the, yeah. the size of your room is so that, that's basically just a, a long conveyor belt yeah. um, that you print onto and the thing that the printer belt and black belts do is they have a, a very interesting uh, axis configuration so your belt moves in i guess the y direction mm -hmm. uh, on a typical printer so it moves towards the user that is standing in front of the machine but then instead of having the z-axis perpendicular to that and just printing like straight up the, it's actually tilted at 45 degrees and your y-axis so your belt is basically the z-axis so the belt advances and you have your next layer on top of that so um, because of that 45 degree orientation, uh, first of all, your nozzle is, is slanted. It's at 45 degrees towards your, <laughs> hold up. <laughs> no, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. No, you, you're, <sighs> your Z axis, no, I'm, you, I'm... you don't have a Cartesian coordinate system. So X and Y are on the same plane or x and y span a plane but the z-axis is not perpendicular it's like i don't know if it, if you could even call that a z-axis it's like a 45 degree axis to your real yeah. z-axis of, of the print yeah now, what i was just thinking about like you don't the thing is you don't have because your y-axis kind of is non-continuous it just moves in increments whenever your z-axis advances you don't really have that one continuous first layer because you really just start like a line scan mm. um, of that first layer so i guess i guess the way to think about this is um and is actually the way that they're slicing these parts is first they skew the actual stl by 45 degrees and kind of like a not trapezoid what's the what's the shape what am i looking for a parallelogram, parallelogram. <laughs> uh, kind of shape so that the, the slicer gets a, a skewed part um, that is like 45 degrees off so the first the thing the only thing that is touching your like bed in the slicer is just that very first line um, and then your printer basically unskews it again in the opposite direction so uh, it leads to all sorts of weird kind of geometries, like the, what would typically be an overhang in a Cartesian machine may either be just, you know, a perfectly vertical surface, or it might be a straight up 90 degree um, unsupported uh, horizontal structure on your belt printer. So the belt printers, I think right now, because of their quirks and because of their kind of beta status and, and inherent issues with uh, geometry that they're more of an experimental thing and very narrow application for for a lot of uh, for a lot of stuff they're very interesting don't get me wrong like I'm, I'm super fascinated by how they work but they're just you need to really optimize your your print and your workflow to have them work with with that sort of machine mm. but it's some applications are pretty interesting so i think i've seen like a kayak being printed on one of these um yeah 
you, you you got certain issues. I think this is not something which will become as common as the normal X um XYZ or like uh the, the Delta printers. But there no, are for sure. specific applications where this could be a viable option. Either for like printing tons of parts and don't really parts and don't really caring about somebody picking them up and stuff like that. Yeah, or if you have big parts that you want to print and they are they could be well, and these parts can be printed in this um, configuration. And yeah. I haven't, well, I haven't really dug too deep into that topic. I don't know where really the um, the restrictions are. If you can really print everything on there, I suppose not. But yeah, yeah, it, it comes down to overhangs. Like depending on which way it's facing. Um, it may or may not be printable again. So, yeah, you've seen the um, the big rep at Formnext, I guess, right? Yes, the new ones. So the original big rep was what one meter squared cubed, mm-hmm. um, and the new ones have. Do, do you know the specs about those? No, I've I haven't been at their booth directly. I've just been walking by and seen right. a couple of parts uh, standing there. Um, I don't know the, the the specs of that so far, but actually, yeah. Black it's, Belt printer they also were on Formnext, but I just briefly walked by their booth. Yeah, they they work with uh, with Colorfab, right? Is could be, but they were presenting their printer there. But I haven't been there for for a long time. Didn't talk to the yeah. people there. But I mean, that, that's the other option. If if what you're going for is just large prints. The option is, of course, just buy a large printer. <laughs> just buy something that is like a meter long. But of course, um, size doesn't scale linearly with cost or cost doesn't scale linearly with size. So simply because there's a smaller market and because you kind of have more weight to support and you need bigger beams and more precise bearings because it all kind of adds up. Mm. If you just build a large printer like the Stackers, um, something like the Stackers 4, which is, I think, 700 by 400 by very tall. Um, <laughs> I don't know the exact C I mentioned. That is 11,000 euros. Mm. So it doesn't sound like it's a, a huge step up from something like a CR10, but, uh, you know, it, it kind of adds up. So I guess if if you have an application that really falls into the, the continuous belt printer, it, it can be worth it from a cost perspective but then again we get into cheap printer versus ready to go printer again and how much tinkering you actually want to do (laughs) (laughs) yeah well and usually the big printers they are aimed at a more professional market so they use higher um higher quality components which already raises their price so yeah i think this is also something you you could probably just use bigger extrusions and make a CR10 <laughs> 1000. Uh, I think that would work for most of the things. Uh, get a volcano hot end on there. But yeah, um, I don't know if, if there are really that much applications for that. Yeah, uh, let me see that the CR10 I think is what, 50 centimeters? Yeah, 50 centimeters are already... Um, that that they have available mm. as their largest machine. Really. And this is also a thousand bucks. Even though yeah, less, the components are more or less the same as with a normal CR10. Yeah, it's just a longer, longer yeah. linear uh, well, longer V 
Uh, V-slot. V- That's the word. V-slot extrusions. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's an interesting topic, but it's or an interesting approach, but it's just not ready for prime time yet. I think. No, and there <laughs> there have been quite some interesting large scale printers also on form next you have the one uh the ones that use like a, a kuka uh robots with an extruder for print wow okay uh with just an extruder in the front and then do fdm printing with that um then you have the really big ones um there hasn't been a hang hang printer around but that is also could be suitable for for bigger prints uh which and is kind of cheap to to manufacture um yeah it's scalable i think that's the the biggest thing yeah um yeah but it always depends on your application (laughs) very (laughs) much so i think also the big wrap i don't know if they're using filament or pellets directly i think they're actually even using pellets so i know the original big wrap one i think was using uh filament still so that they had like really big spools ah Just yeah quickly check uh, but I, I i don't think they would be using pellets because that's just a, a lot of design mm. and engineering overhead mm. uh to make that work especially since it's kind of a professional machine mm. you would want something that is i guess kind of repeatable and reliable mm. and filling it up with pellets so well at Not least sure for the big rep pro they are talking about a closed and temperature controlled filament chamber so they yeah they're still using filament but probably larger nozzles than the ones we used to print with yeah so big rep pro they're saying 0.62 to, uh, where, where were we in the millimeter range i just yeah. saw the specs I mean, probably not drastically different from a volcano, if you think about it. <laughs> nope. Metering extruder technology is what they're calling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they say nozzle size 0.6 millimeters. That's that's not too big. You need quite a. There we go. Yeah. You would need quite some hours to use the whole print volume with an 0.6 millimeter nozzle. They're saying 16 millimeters a second material. Uh, deposition but that's that's a very weird number to kind of quantify material by yeah that would yeah be. But, but those those are printers that probably are way out of out of our league mm. um at least here on youtube <laughs> well or you have on, on you have been podcast. you have been building your hang printer with uh tobion last year so yeah, yeah pretty much a year ago yeah Ah, if only I had the space. <laughs> well, you need the height, don't you? I need what? You need the height. You, you need a high room for... Get, oh, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Yeah, well, we were building in, I think, like roughly three meter tall ceilings. It was looking dangerous. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> at some point we strapped the, my, my laptop to the ceiling just to have uh, no Bluetooth communication there and... Yeah. yeah, you know, for science. Um, but that that was a year ago, and if somebody wants to watch it, it's all still on YouTube. You can watch the entire. Well, it took us pretty much three a week to build stream, it, right? Yeah. Do you have three yeah. streams, four streams? Many, yeah. many. Some of them are on the second channel, um, which wait, doesn't exist anymore. Which is this channel, <laughs> right? But the uh, no, you actually, I actually gotta check that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're still linked somewhere. Private. 
uh, unlisted at or least. Or unlisted, yeah. Yeah. All right. But I think we're, we're, we're dwelling. We're kind of just uh, <laughs> rambling here. Uh, anyways, thank you all for, for listening in this week. Uh, again, if you have graphics for us or audio or jingles or whatever, uh, send them at graphics at the Meltout Zone or art at the Meltout Zone. Use it, use anything. If you have questions for the Q&A, just leave them, well, either send them us on Twitter at the Meltzone, leave them down in the YouTube comments or actually even on the themelt.zone webpage, you can also leave comments there so just choose anyone just any of them and uh we try to discuss them in the show yeah and we, we're hearing your um requests for more podcast platforms to be available working on it google play music um we've heard that i think spotify we've also been uh, requested to be on there working on it not all these platforms are super easy to get into um but we hear you we're doing it. Uh, there was also one question like whether we're available in audio form at all. And yes, we are. Anything that uses the uh, iTunes audio feed, we are already on there. But you can also find a pure MP3 feed uh, on the website, which is themelt.zone. Thank you all for listening in this week. Thank you. Thank you, Stefan, for your time. Thank you too, Tom. All right. All right. See you then. Bye. See you here then. Bye. <laughs> Podcasts are weird. <laughs>